You're tuning in to Don't Sleep New York, a podcast for the New Yorker who wants to stay up on policy and politics in the city that never sleeps. My name is Arpon, and I'm joined by Matt and Rana Joy. We're three New Yorkers who are trying to become more informed about the inner workings of our city, and we want to take you along for the ride. Like many of you, I grew up with a love of reading that was fostered by my local public library. In fact, we had a bookmobile that came to my neighborhood every two weeks, and it was a ritual that my whole family never missed. Most of us have similar fond memories of our local libraries from growing up. For many in New York City, the library continues to be a resource that serves their families and communities in numerous ways. New York City is home to three of the country's largest public library systems. New York Public Library, Queens Public Library, and Brooklyn Public Library. And in today's episode, we're gonna unpack the importance of the library system to those communities, as well as some of the challenges that city libraries are facing going into the next budget cycle. So let's dive in. So obviously, a library, when people think of libraries, they think of books. And I think they think also of the importance it has in a community in New York. So it offers Wi-Fi, it offers a place with computers, a quiet area for kids to study or adults to do some work. But but I think we uncovered in some of our research in ARPON, I think, in some of your anecdotal experience that... New York public libraries specifically offer much, much more than that. Recently, um, my wife handed me a, a bunch of burned CDs with photographs on them and <laughs> CD-ROMs. And it turns out we don't have anything in our house that can play a CD anymore. Even the optical drive on my Xbox can't read CDs anymore. Um, so we took it to the library and we were able to you know, borrow the computers and use a, a CD drive and actually look at what's on these CDs. So just an example of remembering that the library is there for you as a resource, a free resource. And yeah, so it's so it's like a 411 basically of New York. Yeah, and I think if there's one takeaway that we'd love everyone listening to have, it's that when you want to do something, the first place you should think of is actually the library. Because at the library you can rent musical instruments. You can rent vinyl. There's passport and translation services, small business resources. I mean, the list is endless. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think for a lot of our listeners, you're going to be interested in the books. You might be interested in vinyl, which is a, a new addition to the, the Brooklyn Public Library uh, available at their central location. Um, you might be interested in the Culture Pass, which just by having a library card, you can actually get access, free access to museums and shows. But when you think about the larger scope of who uses a library, I think of two different ends of the spectrum. You have really young people like teenagers and younger um, who are coming to the library as one, a place to hang out. Uh, you know, growing up in the suburbs of New Jersey, I think for us, it was the mall. I think for a lot of New York kids, it's the library. Um, but there's also a whole bunch of resources for them, too. There's Brooklyn Public Library, for example, has teen tech labs that have, uh, you know, state-of-the-art recording equipment and photo software and um, just a, a whole suite of creative tools. And it's just a, it's also a key part of the city's after-school program. Totally. 
Totally. And then on the other end of the spectrum is kind of the elderly and uh, let's say like immigrants, folks who are a little less tech savvy. Um, and there's a lot that the library offers there. I think Matt mentioned earlier, there's passport services, <clears throat> excuse me, there's passport services, but there's also things like translation services. There's resources for small businesses. There's resume workshops. There's a business center. Um, you can even book, you know, conference rooms and meeting rooms at the library. I think the one of the things that really struck me is like some of the innovation New York City libraries have kind of taken on, especially from a electronic perspective, specifically during COVID, allowing for access to kids and to adults during that time of need. Uh, and also how they're addressing banned books, like certain regional branches might choose to ban certain books because of their own biases or belief systems. But having... Out, outside of New York City, you mean? Yes. Not, not New York City Outside of branches. New York City. And how the New York City Library has still allowed those individuals to seek LGBTQ authors or black authors, etc. And the importance of that. Which is why I think the specific budget cuts that Eric Adams and his administration is looking at is quite critical and timely uh, to really understand the importance of the library. Yeah. So let's before we jump into you know some of those challenges, um, obviously the library has this plethora of resources and offerings, but let's talk a little bit about the structure of the library system, where the funding is coming from, generally speaking, um, and. How are they actually impacting communities? What are those numbers look like? So let's let's start with the structure alone. I think people might be surprised to hear that the three library systems in New York City are not actually city owned or city operated. They are independent nonprofits, but they do rely on the city for funding. And, and to interrupt really quickly, is it? I know we mentioned uh, basically the, the city of New York's library system, Brooklyn and Queens, where, where did the Bronx and Staten Island fall under there? Yeah. So the Bronx and Staten Island are part of NYPL, New York public library. And then you have Queens public library and Brooklyn public library. Yeah. And it's a, it's quite an interesting history in New York. Like Andrew Carnegie, as many people may know, was quite instrumental in a lot of the constructions of the library, specifically in Manhattan, um, there's been a lot of donations over the years and libraries were actually started out in New York as private institutions or members clubs and only have recently become public and even more recently have become places where you can borrow things for free altogether. And so, so that history is likely why, and this varies across different towns and cities in the U.S., but why, like Arpon said, the libraries in New York are independent nonprofits that function largely on state and city funding and federal funding as well, but also do take private donations, which I think for the New York public library system, somewhere around 13% are uh, just public donations. For Brooklyn's library system, it's 8%, so, so it can vary, but it is not a state-run institution like it might be in other places. No, it's not, but I think it's important to recognize that because of the nature of the service it provides, it is generally a, considered a public good. So it's an independently owned and operated 
system that is very much intertwined with city services. Well, it kind of it reminds me of uh, the MTA in that way, right? Isn't the MTA kind of a similar structure where it's technically not a government entity, but the government has board seats and it obviously operates with a lot of public funding? Yeah, and I think to, to kind of draw like the main highlight point here is, yes, it might be a not-for-profit, but it is still very much dependent on city funding. Um, so MIPL, 60%, Brooklyn and Queens, upwards of 80%. So any city budget cut is a very significant impact on these three institutions' abilities to provide for their communities. Okay, and so that's a good transition into you know what are some of these challenges that are, are coming up. And uh, as Ronajoy, you alluded to earlier, in Mayor Adams's preliminary budget for 2024, uh, the the three library systems are collectively seeing almost a ten percent budget cut, forty million, roughly forty million dollars. And so, what that means, if that happens, is, and I think you know, all three libraries are going to try not to limit or reduce what the actual services are, but they will have to reduce hours, right? So this might mean the library being closed on certain days. This might be mean the library closing early. It means reduce staff. Um, they're going to do whatever they can to continue providing the same amount of services, the same types of services, but the actual access might be limited. Yeah, and, and it's important to, and I don't know what people's image of the New York library is. I'm sure most of theirs is the one in Bryant Park, the beautiful, iconic library, but not all of them look with the with the lions on the steps and like right? a, basically a Sistine Chapel esque like room in there. But not all libraries, almost I would say most libraries are not like that. And that money is also important for infrastructure, for the continued uh, investment in the ca- in the inventory at the library, be it books, CDs, new computers, printers all of the chairs for meeting rooms. So there's a lot of loss outside of just opening out, like hours that it's open for. Yeah, and you can imagine in, in a lot of communities that may be lower income, I mean, for the for one, it would always be nice to improve the libraries in those areas. I think a nicer library would lead to a better quality of life for people in those communities. And so when you have budget cuts like this and the library system is struggling just to stay afloat and maintain its service, let alone expand it, it makes it a lot harder for people to see the benefits of the library system that we were describing earlier. I think it, it kind of speaks to the larger frustration that people have, like post, you know, the reform, the police movements, the racial reckoning, et cetera, where during these this time of austerity that we really look at pre-K programs, libraries, CUNY, all these types of institutional ways that people can become better are the ones that are targeted. Uh, I mean, frankly, frankly, so, so two points. One, just to, to bring it in since you mentioned, uh, mentioned it, like the police budget is $10 billion. So the $40 million cut from the libraries represents less than 5% of the police budget. Um, so just keep that number in mind. And then I think the other thing to keep in mind too is when you see these budget cuts, they're often for services that if you were a higher income person, 
you are probably dealing with on your own. If you're higher income, you're paying somebody to take care of your kids in a pre-K capacity or after school capacity. You're able to afford a tutor. You're able to afford classes to help learn something. You're, you can buy all the books you want on Amazon. So the people that suffer from these things are those who actually rely on the library as a service, um, whereas the, the people who in many cases are actually making policy I think take these services for granted because they simply don't use them. So picking picking up Matt on on what you were saying um, about that impact or that not being able to see that impact. I mean, let's just talk about some of the numbers, right? I mean, New York Public Library, talking about the New York NYPL, the New York Public Library, uh, is one of the largest public libraries in the country when you think about the amount of people that it serves. Um, and I think the number of visits that it clocks in on average in a year is somewhere upwards of 17 million visits in a year. And and to put that in context, New York Public Library specifically covering about 3.5 million and there are about 17 million visits. So that's pretty significant. And Brooklyn and Queens have similar ratios of visits to people. So about five visits per person a year. Yeah. And that's that's a really, really... I mean, alone, that's a really big number. But then you think about, you know, the certain communities who really rely on the library and are going way more than five times, right, who might be there every day after school or might be there on weekends. Um, it is a pretty significant impact to even reduce the hours by a couple or even reduce time open by a couple hours. It is. And, and again, it's just like I, I don't want to belabor the point, but I just like the people who are making these budget decisions, I just don't think they're taking for granted these services. I and mean, that's to me what I want the big takeaway to be is all the services that you can get at the library and just like don't take those for granted. And I think the one thing that struck me when I look at these budget cuts, obviously there are gonna be some budget cuts in the, in the kind of time that we're living in. But do you think because the library is something that is seems like can get more donors from a private perspective is our policymakers less sympathetic about cutting it knowing that they can get some of the money back through a donor I, i'm personally not convinced that that's even a factor that they're thinking about though obviously when you think about the, the public good that the library offers it's very different than a city agency that also offers uh a public benefit like dsny we were just yeah. talking about you know you can't do the dsny is not accepting donations right it's or not getting it's not an andrew carnegie check exactly so yes there might be an element of that but then we look at the actual breakdown we look at the history of the library we look at how intertwined it is with city services i mean sure it's it's possible but fundraising's down across the board as the market's down so it's a little bit naive to think hey, we can cut budget from this because they can get it from corporate or private donors. Yeah, and it's also like the, the negative effects of cutting a library budget might not be truly felt by society as a whole for years or a decade. Like if you cut a budget for DSNY and someone doesn't pick up your trash, it's going to smell. If you're cutting the budget for police, and again, you can definitely argue this isn't the case, but the, the idea being like, oh, well, then crime's going to go up. But if you cut the library budget tomorrow... For a lot of people, things might not change, but for a lot of people, it will. And down the road, you're going to see potentially lower rates of education. You might see kids who 
are spending their time in worse ways. I mean, you could you could see a negative impact to communities 10 years down the line. But as we know, policymakers are really concerned with just the next election. And so, you know, to sum that up, a library is really for a community. It's an investment in the future of that community. So a great way to put it. Yeah. And so that's a great segue into, you know, you as a listener, what can you do to support your library? Obviously, number one, go use your library, right? Be part of those statistics of people who actually utilize the public benefit and the public good that the library brings. Um, two, you can actually donate to the library. It is a, a, a verified tax-deductible 501c3. So if you want to donate money or you're thinking about organizations, we often forget that the library is there and can collect donations. Uh, and now more than ever is probably going to need the support from the public in a, in a bigger way. Whether that was the intention by the government or not in, in proposing these budget cuts, the reality is, is that libraries are going to need patrons more than ever. Um, and then number three is actually, you know, lobby for your belief in supporting the library, whether that means, uh, you know, writing letters or making phone calls to your local city council, whether that means, uh, you know, joining any kind of collective efforts. I know each of the, the library systems are actually organizing letter writing nights and protests at City Hall. Um, join the newsletter for your local library. Find out what's happening uh, and go show your support. And we'll post some resources to that end uh, in terms of like some of those letter writing initiatives that are going on uh, on our Instagram. So another shout out, please follow at Don't Sleep NY. Put out a library. What have we? We have no past and no future. That's so good. Is that a quote? Ray Bradbury. So that's our episode for today. Whether you use the library every week or a few times a year, it's a huge part of our community. Libraries are a resource for all ages and demographics, whether you're looking for a book, a record, a service, or just a place to stay cool in the New York City summer heat. The doors are open to all. So not sure how you can help? Ask your librarian. This season, we'll continue to unpack the issues that affect our community here in New York City. So stay up to date with us by following at Don't Sleep NY on Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your podcasting platform of choice. It really helps us help more people like you get informed. The music you heard in this episode was provided by Brooklyn-based artist and producer Jackery. We'll see you all in a few weeks. Until then, don't sleep.